Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week's episode is with Alex Garcia from Mayday Parade. And I love that band. I love him and I've loved them for a long time because of the people that they are. I met them forever ago in the early days of touring and I always feel like they set such a great example and they're such genuine people, but I had never really known Alex's story specifically. So the excuse to sit down for a podcast and really get to know his early days and his views on the come up of that band and then the current state of music and what it takes takes to be an artist right now and talking a lot about imposter syndrome and all the stuff that we like to talk about on this podcast. So it was a great one. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to keep this short. Let's get right into it. Where are all my friends? Alex Garcia. What up? I'm excited, dude. Yeah, same. This is cool. One, it's been a fucking long time since we've seen each other. I can't remember the last time. I mean, I must have been some, you must have come out at some point when we were, when we were on tour. I would say like over the years, I've probably like come through and caught a show, mm -hmm. but that's so hard. Like when you're on tour and you have the friends come by, you get like a quick, like, how you been? How's the fam? Whatever. And like, yeah. that's it. But I feel like the last time I remember us like fucking chopping it up, throwing <laughs> it out was had to have been like warped. Yeah. Were you on the 1416 circuit? Yeah. With even years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was probably like probably 1416. Yeah. And I remember for the listener, we have Cabbage hanging out with us behind the scenes. And I remember there was a, a tour where I would zoom up on you playing bass on shitty camera phone photos. But I feel like there was a summer of genuine Mayday Parade friendship on yeah. a Warped Tour. Yeah, it's it's Warped Tour. It's funny because you, you brought up like the coming out to a show, like a one-off show and just saying, hey, I, I feel like I, I'm really terrible at hanging out day of show. You it's know, so hard. It's difficult. Usually I'm in my own world doing my own thing. And after the show, I, I'm usually pretty tired. But the benefit of the great thing about oh, I don't wanna, the great thing about Warp Tour is that you're with you're kind of like with everyone all day and you're kind of I don't know, um, working alongside people and it can develop like much better relationships that way. Progressively losing your mind with your friends right. over an entire summer. Yes. And you have the dates where you play early and then there's the whole rest of the day and your friends are around and you're just like, yeah, well, I guess let's just hang out on the back of this trailer. Yeah. I feel like that's, there's, it's much inhale, more. Inhale bus exhaust together. Yeah. <laughs> that's where the real friendships are made. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, dude, I, I'm excited for this for a couple of reasons, because I think as much as this podcast has grown, it's really not just like music podcast, talk to everybody in a band, whatever. But I'm, I'm always interested in people. Mm. And you've always stood out to me as an interesting person. And I really, I guess that does speak for your whole band. But I think that there's something really to be said also for a listener who doesn't know you're in the band Mayday Parade. Mm. But Something that's really cool about your band and the people and what I've noticed about you is y'all have kept it going for some amount of time. And I feel like you're so fucking good at what you do and so genuine at all of like what translates to me is like, it's always felt like this genuine thing you've kept going and mm. it's always just felt so real to me. And I'm curious of the people who are behind things like that. So to me, I don't want this podcast to just be the oral history of Mayday Parade, not right. at all. I want to know like your story, like going back to your early days, like did you think it was going to be a band? Did you think this would be the career from day one? Right. Where did you grow up? What did that look like? What are your first, like that to me, I'm fucking obsessed with that. It's interesting because I think about that a lot where like how, how did I really feel maybe whenever we say got first or got signed you know what i mean yeah i try and think about that moment a lot because i feel like the the present day kind of taints that view where it's easy for me to be like yeah i was i was always all in you know always uh sure that it was going to be something successful i knew that you know this was going to be my career at least for 15 years however long but that cannot to me that that seems insane that 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 I would have thought that. Although, then again, you know, being eighteen or nineteen, you're not full you of the best ideas. You don't think about all no. that. But like, okay, when did you first pick up a guitar? Like, were mm -hmm. you a young kid? Like, did you know it was music? Did you even before? So that that's that's another thing is that I I still don't really consider myself inherently a music person. Whoa! Like I I never really feel like you know you meet people especially doing this you meet people that are like this is your air 
mm-hmm. is music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you all day at all moments, you're living, breathing music. For me, I, I've never really f- totally felt that. And especially when I first picked up a guitar, I don't think I initially I, I was 13. And I remember it was my 13th birthday, which was in September. Mm. And I was either going to I either wanted to get a personal TV, like a big tube television <laughs> for my room so I could watch Seinfeld in my room <laughs> or, or I was going to get uh, a guitar. And really, I remember thinking like, well, a guitar is kind of something that seems kind of cool. Like I liked Oasis and I liked, you know, I was getting into like, you know, music to, and it was starting to affect me more. So it seemed like a, a teenager thing to do is to get a guitar. And I remember my first, my birthday, I was like, mm, I'm just going to get a TV. And I waited until Christmas <laughs> to get, a, to ask my parents for a guitar. And from then, and I, this is another thing that I, that I, think is interesting because I've tried to teach people guitar, the thoughts of the months and years that it took to get okay enough at guitar to where it's fun. It's kind of an excruciating process. I don't know, Andrew, if you, how, how musical you are. So bad. <laughs> but you, you know that feeling, right? Of like oh, yeah. re- sucking relentlessly at something. <laughs> yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's that's cool that you have that self-awareness because I think sometimes it's harder to relate to the stories of like, I picked up my guitar and I just knew from day one, like in all honesty, like, yeah, you get on a skateboard, you get a guitar, you find that thing and you're like, right. this shit's fucking hard. It's yeah, it's really hard. And I mean, there were moments in my life where I saw, I remember going to like a school fair when I was in middle school and seeing someone play a guitar there and and being kind of like, damn, I guess that was the first time that it's, it seemed accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I could just play guitar. Like I, mm. I, I could do this and look like a badass to all my peers in, in school. <laughs> yeah, the school fair. Right. Yeah, yeah, that'll show them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, really, in, in essence, I think that that is kind of the driving force. I, I, I appreciate the idea of like, of the you know, music is my outlet. But I think a lot of it too, for most, for a lot of people, a lot of their driving forces, they want to, they want to look cool or do something that they think will make them cool. And I mean, that certainly was, was a lot of it for me too, you know? I really appreciate your honesty and self-awareness in that. Because like, granted, it can evolve and turn mm -hmm. into something like that. But like, think about it. You have a whole career out of this Mm -hmm. because of that. But like, I think that's sick. I think that's encouraging for people that are like, like, what if somebody's listening to this or somebody that you're talking to, you're teaching guitar and like, it's not my live or die passion. Like, it's not like I wake up and you're like, no, I just wanted to like be cool. I thought it was cool. Well, that and I mean, it, it certainly developed into something that I am passionate about. But I guess, you know, at the end of it, I've become passionate, passionate about the process and about uh, like uh, having a respect for it's kind of it's kind of difficult to say it to express this, but the notion of like, okay, so so there's that moment where you suck horribly at something, mm-hmm. but eventually you get good enough to where it's fun, but then you also get to this discouraging moment where you're like, well, okay, in the spectrum of guitar ability, am I at ten percent of my uh, the ability that that I want to be at or am I at 20 where on my journey am I you start mm-hmm. to kind of have this assessment of it and I think the the there's a moment and this isn't obviously a, just for guitar I think it's for any sort of craft yeah where you realize there will never be a fine of an endpoint you Whoa. will never get to to a point where you're like I've mastered it or I'm like I'm satisfied with where I'm at or and I think really, if you ever do get to that point, that's probably when you should set it aside because you clearly aren't Holy into it anymore. Shit. Do you know what I mean? That's a cool perspective. No, I do. I, I 100% do. But uh, it's cool that it's like an ever-evolving target and you're always trying to get better and that, uh-huh. that is there. And I think that that is what I've become passionate about is that kind of sense more so than how I interpret it when people, you know, kind of... Uh, talk about music being their lifeblood. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I like that. That feels more real and relatable to me. So pick up the guitar 13, mm-hmm. mess around with it. It's not like you're instantly like, wow, I'm a virtuoso. <laughs> right, sure, yeah. But like you're kind of finding yourself, you're like, oh, this is something cool. Like I'm into this. Is Mayday your first band? Mayday? No. Um, okay. 
so I was in a couple bands or not like a couple bands, like, you know, essentially saying to your middle school friends, Hey, we're in a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a couple of those and then meeting cabbage, um, or Jeremy, our, our Mayday Parade's bassist, who's here in the room with us, him and I started a band when we were in, um, Damn, how old were we? I mean, we were in high school. Yeah, ninth grade or so. For the listener, I have the awe shut face looking at Cabby, <laughs> realizing that it was you two that yeah. started that band together. Oh my God, cool. Well, well, we started, we didn't start Mayday. We started a band right. together. That's yeah. cooler. I yeah. love that. I love that you were in another band. And that one, we actually like wrote music and recorded music and tr and performed to varying degrees of success and got paid. I mean, we got paid 20 bucks for a show which is like fucking go yeah which you're a is, pro you got paid i hope <laughs> i can't <laughs> tell you exactly where it is now but i i should have i think i do i think it's like a like a little like memories box i have in my garage somewhere <laughs> god i love that god that's cool um w what city were you in when this was tallahassee happening? so kevin okay. and i grew up in tallahassee florida and went to the same uh high school together became friends in high school he was a year in the year ahead of me so we've kind of formed this band together i mean we weren't very good but you know it was still it was fun and 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 pure and then cabby met derek brooks and well josh and austin two guys or four guys that were in another band called uh defining moment oh. and they they realized cabby's talent because uh, he's a talented songwriter and guitarist and they had him come join their band and so cabby leaving he was like the the member the creative member of of our band uh th that completely that wrecked it so our band broke up oh yeah i was i was super <laughs> super pissed oh shit you had like tallahassee local band beef yeah but uh, the funny thing is is that like it was really just me and maybe like one other person that were kind of upset but everyone else was like who broke up what no one cared yeah no one cared yeah 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 <laughs> And, you know, the part of like the Mayday lore, that's the, you know, Cabby was in Defining Moment with Brooks and uh, Derek. Defining Moment practiced at, at this this warehouse with a bunch of other bands. Even though I hated Cabby, I was still friends with him <laughs> and would go to their practice and became friends with Derek and Brooks and all the, those people. And then met kind of their friends that also played music in the same warehouse thing. And at that time in Tallahassee, there was really only one area where the local bands would would play would rehearse and it was just a big warehouse or like you know a warehouse complex and so people would share gear kind of share spaces together and so through all that i met a couple of other people like jake and uh jason mm -hmm. and eventually they they wanted to kick out their guitarist and they realized they knew that i played guitar so they were like hey you want to join um at the moment i think it was the last try and I was like, fuck yeah, because they were amazing. Oh, wow. I mean, you they, can feel it. Oh, yeah. And that so so that's what I always think. of. That's kind of my standard when I talk about like people that really f inherently like breathe, live and breathe music is definitely Jason and Jake were like, I mean, watching them play it was like, damn, these they're, they're really good. Like, yeah. really good. You know what I mean? Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Like, even as a professional musician, even being on that level, there are certain people you see and you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, it's just another level of something. And it's compelling. It's very attractive to oh, like totally. see that and be around it. At that time, it was so cool, too, because I was more like a fan. And I think I realized more of my... I just wanted to be kind of around that and... It was so pure and like there was no ego involved and in the in the process it was just like i just like i love this song i love you, you know i love the way that this band sounds and to be like shit i get to listen to this every day i get to be on stage with the with doing this that's awesome there was no like well what role do i serve in this band or like how am i um service by this at all right it was purely just like you were so stoked to be there and be a part of it and be around it yep yeah and did that ultimately become mayday yeah so so then that it was the last try then but uh, once i joined we had a couple other member changes became kid named chicago and then 
at a certain point as part of our Mayday Parade lore, we combined forces, we combined the the two bands. We dropped four people total from two people from each band without them knowing it was kind of shady and shitty. Uh, and there was beef. That was uh, actual like Tallahassee. That's some Tallahassee beef. local band yeah. beef. Luckily everyone's cool now, but um yeah, so we we each band kicked out two members and then and then took three from each and formed like the super band. Um, Every hometown had that. <laughs> Every hometown made the super band. Right. That's funny. Yeah. So Mayday Parade is a product of a, a local hometown super band. Yeah. And wow. yeah, we yeah. I mean, we had like the conspiratorial meetings, you know, like the um at night after like band practice. It was after one band's practice they would leave and then you know we'd all get together and talk about yeah you know what we're actually going to do the defining moment they they were together as a core unit and actually toured together relatively substantially compared to the last or a kid named chicago so they were more of like a family kind of unit like it was a, the bonds were a lot tighter they were like longtime childhood friends so them leaving behind two members Derek Brooks Derek Brooks and Cabby leaving behind Josh and Austin was definitely a lot more traumatic mm. more of a, a severance than uh, Jake Jason and I leaving behind um Craig and Heath from mm. from Kid Named Chicago what although happened? they were all like close friends but even still it was like it was it, they uh, I don't know it was a little different yeah imagine how much of a rivalry it would have been if those four started a band so and, wait stop it Josh and Austin did form a band from stop the it. moment yeah and that there was beef and it was kind of weird for a little bit but eventually we kind of all hashes were buried and and everyone was is cool now actually Cabby and Austin live close together and and oh. outside of Detroit and oh that's they're, sick. Yeah, they're good friends so they so there was so much beef where um our EP is titled uh Tales Told by Dead Friends. That was like our our initial but it was in response to a song I believe that they had called Dead Dead Friends Tell No Tales. Oh Tales Told by Dead Friends. Oh wow, yeah, so y'all are at war. <laughs> we, yeah. That's funny. It was I mean, I think there was even a moment where there was obviously, you know, of course, Defining Moment had a lot more at stake than last, uh, the kid named Chicago did. So there was like money involved too. And mm. there was like a night where there was nearly a parking lot brawl wow. in Tallahassee. Well, Basically just a bunch of like, you know, like half redneck kids getting, you know, yeah, being that's, angry at each other. That brings me back to my Florida days. <laughs> yeah, it. you know how, all right, it was yeah. so typical Florida. <laughs> but okay, because I don't want to get too in the weeds with that, but I find that interesting just because I find it so cool to understand the person that you were in like the early days of something that became so defining. Um, a question and, and a point that I really like to go to in these podcasts is, I know from the outside, especially being a Florida kid, and like my first experience with working with bands or touring with bands was in 2008. So by that time, Mayday was already a little bit established mm. and kind of like the not hometown because we were in different hometowns, but it was a known name. And it was like, oh shit, yeah, they're from Florida. And I remember I did a podcast with Tim from Under Oath and I found this such an interesting moment. But to me, I remember a lesson in romantics and I remember from the outside how crazy that was. But for your experience, like, did you have a moment where it went from being like, cool, like I'm playing music with my friends that I really believe in and like, this is so sick. And I don't think we planned too far into it. It's probably just like the, oh, sweet, hopefully one day we can tour, whatever. Mm. Did you have a moment or like, did you have, as you guys were writing a specific song or playing a specific show, like, did you kind of have a moment where you're like, oh, fuck, this might work? Like, oh. It's funny because we, we actually did an interview not long ago where this was kind of asked and I, and I, I couldn't really, it's so difficult to pinpoint a moment. I think, I feel like it was a collection of things and a couple, a couple of things. I think when I heard when I like listening to some of the songs Jason had written leading up to recording a lesson of romantics, especially Jamie all over, that was a moment where it's like, Oh, like that's a really fucking good song. And kind of like, I, once again, it was, it, it was so pure at that moment. Cause it was like, I just really like this. Yeah. Like 
if they don't like it, fuck them. Like if I, I just really like this. Yeah. And then I think once we started touring, like right out of the gate, we formed in 2005 and then started touring in uh, this. We first thing we did was following Warp Tour in 2006. Yep. Selling CDs. And I think, oh, yeah, y'all had like the, you had a name for that, right? Like that mm-hmm. band that works hard. Like y'all followed the tour, sold a fuck ton yeah. of CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like our a thing, right? Right. I think doing that though, I think I got so in the in the weeds to use your saying like yeah 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 of the nitty gritty like money like how are we gonna how are we gonna get you know make enough money mm-hmm. how are we going to like keep this going and and because that first little bit it was all about being uh, self sufficient and being uh, are the we were all very DIY minded like labels are the devil like they mm-hmm. will come in and fuck everything up for an artist so. Yeah. All we need to do is just figure out how to how to be self-sufficient on the road. Everyone at this, we're all 19 or 20, 21. We all love, would love nothing more than just to live off of $5 a day. That's totally cool. Living in a van with your best buds, that's totally fine. We can, we can do that. We just have to figure out how we can make money, like how we can, you know, keep this growing and make money to print shirts and print our EP and uh, put gas in the van and pay back Derek's dad for buying the van and making sure, you know, buying the trailer and everything. And, and also too, I think another kind of little anecdote that is telling is maybe within a week of us following Warp Tour, we got into an accident where we had hired a friend of ours named Justin and a, and a, a, a another friend, a girl, uh, they were, their jobs were strictly to drive back and forth. You know, they would alternate. Mm-hmm. Um, we were driving in Wisconsin, a deer jumped out in front of the van they swerved and in the process, luckily the van was fine, but the trailer rolled. And there's a lot of other things, but essentially the trailer just had our EP in it and it was, the trailer was completely fucked. A bunch of our EPs were now shattered across the highway. And I, you know, waking up that, or being woken up that morning and then that's already insane. And then stepping outside and seeing, you know, your EP being run over by semis was pretty like, oh shit. And, but at that moment, it's crucial to understand, sorry if this is like too in the weeds. No, please, please. (laughs) But we had, we were still needed to pay off the van. Derek's father had bought the van, you know, put basically fronted the money. We needed to pay off the trailer. We had gotten the EPs printed on, on spec because Defining Moment, Cabby Brooks and Derek's old band, they had done literally the same thing the year previous with Defining Moment. Mm. And uh, we're able, like they they made they made enough money easily to pay off the EP. So the guy Walter at Imprint Records and a company in Florida, he was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do, I'll fund, I'll print you guys this these these EPs on spec, and then you guys pay me back when you have the money." Like, yeah. I trust you. Sick. So it was like we already had. We're probably in the whole at the onset twenty grand or so, which is yeah insane. And once again, we were paying each other, I think ten cents or something like a CD sold. Yeah. So we were living off of like literally five five dollars a day. Yeah, so twenty grand is everything, and to immediately within a week have something that like that could have ruined not only our lives but more importantly at the moment like our the, what we we're trying to build was scary. So then it really, really got into into hyperdrive of like no, this is a business. Like this is something that we have to really be accountable for and. You know, now there's really no room for error. And luckily, the music was good enough that and, you know, things were happening for the band that it worked out. But I think the more common story for bands is that it, you know, that it doesn't catch on and they're not able to. Wait, but this is insane. So what EP was that? That was the Tales Told by Dead Friends EP that we we printed ourselves. This was before we were signed or anything. Yeah. Holy shit. OK, so then you lose all the EPs. Not all of them. Luckily, I mean, only about we had printed maybe 20,000 of them or 15,000 or something like that. Yeah. Um, And only like a couple hundred. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was enough of like an, oh, fuck, this could have ruined everything. Right. And that lit a fire. I mean, it really could have ruined. It it gets kind of crazier. This this story. We had another band with us following us selling our CDs. We kind of like hired this other band to, to help us out. Brilliant. And the whole agreement was like, you help us out, we'll fund your recording of your EP or whatever. Wow. And they were like, fuck yeah. So 
there were two vans, two trailers. They had a better trailer or yeah, they had a better, better trailer than we did. The other uh, part of the story is that while we were selling our CD on Warped Tour, we were also doing showcases for labels. Wow. So we had to carry our gear as well. We we played maybe three or four shows total over the span of two months that yep. Warp Tour happens all across the country. Yeah. We had we did a showcase for Fearless and or in LA. Yeah. Um we were gonna do one for Victory in Chicago, but they never showed. Yeah. Uh we actually were playing the Battle of the Bands for Warp Tour in Jacksonville. So anyway, we had to carry our gear. Yeah. Luckily, this is by stroke of you know god's good grace we were like oh our van is better we'll carry this i I can't remember the circumstances exactly but we were like we'll carry we'll switch trailers other band you guys carry our gear we'll carry the cds and like clothes or whatever like all the yeah yeah, dumb shit that we don't really that that's it's i I, it was for weight distribution purposes or something yeah so our trailer was one that got fucked, which was the one that, or the one that we were carrying was the one that got fucked, which just had CDs and some clothes. Wow. The trailer with our gear, which would have been, that would have been, because that none of that would have survived. No. You know what I mean? This was, the, these were CDs and you know how those boxes yep. are, like tightly packed. Yep, yeah. So it could have been a lot worse. I mean, it could have been, we could have been killed, really. But, right. You know. Damn, that's nuts that you have like such a specific moment though where you're like this thing, like during this, it made you realize so much of like, all right, it's game time. Yeah. Yeah. And and to the passion to the passion part, I think I loved, I really, really, really loved like keeping the ledgers and, you know, in seeing the money come in and the money go out and making seeing and really seeing something grow i I was so much more fired up about that than anything i was doing previous in my life you know what i mean you know it's funny like you said that and you like unlocked a part of me that i remembered so well was at that specific time in that music era it almost was a formula and it was this unspoken but like you said like we had to have enough money for merch Mm. and enough money for cds and enough money to pay Derek's dad back for the van Mm -hmm. But it was like so like now you worry about going viral on the internet. You worry about this, <laughs> yeah. that, this. Like there was this weird moment where it was almost just like a math equation was if we can get to this many shows and have this many CDs and sell them with enough time and enough people that we talk to, we can yeah. sell this many, sell shirts. Oh. And every sale got you that little bit more in the gas tank, got you that yeah. little bit more to feed you and got you to the next city. And you just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. and. It wasn't even like there was a master plan saying at the end of this, you'll have enough fans to support yourself. Right. It was just, if we do all this and do this math problem right, we can go around the country and pay for it. Yep. And then by that, so many bands came up through it. And yeah. I don't think in that era we understood that. It was purely just this simple math equation of economics of like, oh yeah, I don't know. It, it no, just totally. like awakened something in me of remembering that. Well, what you're saying too, I remember, I mean- that that summer was easy. I mean, it's it's funny. I don't think I picked up guitar hardly at all that summer. That summer, but what I did do was learn. Hell, I could sell anyone anything because <laughs> I would just you just basically pressure people into buying your EP, right? And they do, and then you're like, all right, cool. I contributed to our gas money. It's our paying off our debts, and hopefully they'll actually listen to the CD yes. that they bought. And yeah, and. You know, and to go a little bit further, the other side of it, you know, that's that was the cynical. That's the cynical, like just make money to to just pay off metrics, your debts. Yeah. yeah. The other side of it is the fall. Uh, that fall, we toured with Weedus. That was our first like actual, oh, shit. <laughs> our, our first actual tour. But we went. I remember going to Seattle, uh, playing a show in Seattle, and there were there were maybe like three or four people there that had bought our cd on warp tour when we were when we had sold it at the gorge in washington that was like fuck this is okay awesome like that's uh, what bet what more could you want you know yeah. like it were it we have we have some fans in uh, like literally the furthest we could be from our home yeah and you know the continental u.s that's amazing that was cool it's insane and i also love like i don't know if you realize this but again like being that band that then followed your blueprint like when I was, this was with Set It Off and yeah, like the right, early yeah. days of them, you guys made a blueprint. Like it was like the, 
did you hear that Mayday Parade sold this many CDs at this warp tour? And then it was like, did you hear that Kevin, if, if you sell enough CDs, Kevin Lyman will notice you and he'll put you on this stage. Yeah. Did you hear that Mayday Parade did this? And it was like this accidental like folklore of right. like this thing. And I, I can't imagine you understood that you were making a blueprint or doing anything. It had to have just been. I mean, a lot of it, I think it was really Brooks, uh, Derek and Cavi coming you know, stumbling upon this this formula that worked for them in defining a moment. I mean, they yeah, it was just like I don't know. You figure out the cheat code and yeah, that's <laughs> like if I was. just press this, it, uh, like I'm totally worked. it though, right? You're like if I just sell this many CDs, yeah. and it's not like you're being some piece of shit forcing people to buy it. But well, I was. That, I will say that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but like okay, even that. Check me out. Like that skill of like learning how to fearlessly talk to people and be like, listen. I know you don't want this. Right. You're here to see your favorite band. <laughs> but like, I need to sell this CD right. to get to the like, it's not like you're out here forcing kids to buy cigarettes right. or something like right. that. Like you're right. selling right. music that you right. believe in. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're what they're right. That <laughs> Thanks is a, for thank you. Right. Like, but that I, need, is, I needed that. That's a foundational <laughs> skill too. Like I think that like, I, I just, that for me, like what you're explaining in those moments if you were to really have gone back and told me that those moments would be the college of my life, I'd be like, really? Like, mm. you don't really think about it. You're just kind of like, oh, well, we want to get to this city and we have this much of this shirt and like, please yeah. buy it, whatever. Uh, and I didn't expect us to get into that with this interview, but like, I, I find that so interesting because you guys really did pioneer and prove this magic little equation at that time. And that ended up leading to quite a lot of success, didn't it? I'm certainly proud of this th this aspect of the band is that at that moment, at the end of that, at the end of Warp Tour to 2006, I remember conversations that we had, we were being courted by three or so labels and having the conversation of like, do we need to be on a label? Mm. And it was so empowering and it felt so, so great to have that because at that time in, in music for for bands like us, it was uh, getting roped into these uh, uh, upstreaming contracts and Hor deals were bad. Yeah, deals were awful. Bad. And because I mean, it makes sense as a band, you have no leverage. None. You're your children, you know, dealing with professionals and you needed physical goods. You needed physical distribution. Exactly. That and was you, a very you difficult money. thing you to need figure money. out. Yeah. You're paying a fucking fortune to record albums. You can't yeah. self-produce this. Like no, right? Exactly. And, and 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 that is an interesting aspect of this too. Of my view regarding Spotify and, or in, and even before Spotify regarding downloading illegal downloading and in a lot of ways it's it's incredible how cheap it is now to make music. Yes, and it's super empowering for the artist, which I I all for that yeah and i think it is good good for consumer it's great for consumers in that they can obviously get get the music for free in a lot of ways or for nominal price yeah and but they also get a more diversity of music which i think is great um obviously you know there are many issues with how artists are paid but that's a whole other thing yeah yeah no but it's just it's wild it's it's really interesting to go back to that time and your come up in music and that era is a really interesting thing to look back and reflect on because so much really has changed. Oh, yeah. But that, I think that's why I have so much respect for the band. Mm. And hearing this is so interesting to me because you were just early enough where for that whole wave, you really did kind of pioneer something. Mm. And now to really jump forward, I think something that's really stood out to me um, is just like how much you have, I don't even know how to say it. Like I'm thinking of literally like your stage setup and I'm mm. thinking of how clean and dialed everything is mm. and how on point all of that is. And I just, maybe the feeling is that to me, your band has always set the example and that's gotta be interesting. Like, are you aware of that? Does it feel like that? I mean, um, and maybe that's making you speak for the band, but for no, yourself I even. Um, I don't necessarily feel that, but I definitely, I think, and this is something that I learned a lot from Brooks. I think Brooks was always about setting examples rather than, and I think this is, it's something that I've thought a lot about uh, uh, in terms of like, how, how do you, how do you, um, uh, how do you influence people? You know, mm. 
And I think I think setting an example or having that mentality of like I want to be an example for other people, yeah, is a, is a is powerful. So that's uh, that's a super high compliment to me to that you'd say that about um about yes, cabbage, yeah. Uh, I've heard from crew that we over the years other bands we played with always ask them what gear we're, we're playing with. You know, up and coming bands like when Real Friends were first starting. Or, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like smaller bands are kind of blowing up and want to know like what we're using when they're on tour with us so they can like upgrade their rigs and i think it's kind of cool that no totally it's and that is something that is once again i i think i get lost a little bit too much into my own in my own head and into the into the process where all i can think about is like you know what is this other person using mm-hmm. like i i'm always and i i think that that's that speaks to something that's like a, a really big trap for a lot of people is the comparisons that nothing's ever good enough. You always want more. You always want to get better. You can never appreciate what you have or recognize mm-hmm. that you're, uh, m- you know, so far ahead and maybe are an example for other people and that other people are interested in what you're doing because you're always, you know, for me, I'm always thinking like, well, what, or I, I you know, definitely it's, I'm aware of like, okay, what, what yeah. can I do better? Well, it's, you know? it's funny. Cause like, I feel like something that we briefly said before we started and maybe it ties into this a little bit, but here I am from the outside. Right. And you know, like I had a different path. It's not like I played in bands, but I was close enough to Mayday to watch your band influence people and to be that example and set that example. But we were talking a little bit about imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. there's, there's this very interesting duality to Mayday Parade. It's like you've intentionally or accidentally pioneered a lot in paths of like this genre and this come up and this wave and everything. However, every single one of you, every time I talk, it's like so fucking humble. And like, it's just like, oh yeah, like we're just happy to be here and like so kind and all that. And we were talking a little bit about imposter syndrome mm. and it's so funny to me, right? Because- yeah. In my eyes, I'm like, you have to be aware of everything that you guys influenced and this, that, and this. <laughs> and then every time we talk, it's just like these very like humble. It's just like, oh yeah, it's we're gonna play the show. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I mean, I think the the that aspect is it's a combination of imposter syndrome and then also the comparison kind of trap where you you know you're like, well, shit, all time low is doing this. Like, I want to do that. Like, right. Why can't we be all time low? Why can't we be that that successful? Yeah. And I know, I know, and they got to be like shit. Why can't we be like Coldplay or whoever? Or, you know, I'm sure they have their own right. Of course. Oh, this person they, got this song on the radio. Right. Why can't like, we do yeah. this? And it's like a trap of of never. It's never good enough. You know. Yeah. Um. I think a lot of it's that. But yeah, the imposter syndrome thing. I know. Yeah, we talked about it briefly. That's that's something that I've definitely been trying to be aware of more and more. And it's such a uh, a difficult and difficult thing because, on one hand, I think that's part of the fire or the fuel of the fire of like that drives passion of or uh, that makes you better, that makes you grind. Which I I think the grind is everything. Like that's it's all about the process of putting in work to become better at something. Yeah. And I think what the fuel for that is to be like, I am not good enough. I'm not there yet. Like yeah. I, I, I can improve. Right. That awareness and that like the humility, I guess would be the word, but like yeah. not just being so full of yourself. Where you're like, oh, Here totally. I am. I did it. Yeah. Always I'm done. To improve. Mission accomplished. Yeah. But then the other side is that you can never be satisfied and you're, you don't feel good enough. You don't feel like you're, you're worthy of, of a position. And it's funny because it's it's one of those like <laughs> those psychological things that you hear about imposter syndrome, you know, that you're like, oh, that's something that, that must be hell for other people. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, once I realized like, shit, actually, no, a lot of like my a lot of the my mental processes involve like, you know, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't I feel like I'm, you know, I somehow lucked out. Mm. into my position and i don't belong here but on merit or whatever yeah and then you know realizing like no you know you're right well in it (laughs) well it's like i i have two views to that as well where it's like one i appreciate you sharing that so much because i think the more people acknowledge it and the more people that listen like holy fuck of course i know alex from mayday parade what he feels that 
<laughs> like they did all this. I think that's so cool when people share that because it makes, it reminds us all that we process that, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I certainly don't know a lot of people that don't know that feeling, but then it's also like, how do you then remedy that? How do you remind yourself to keep going and own it and appreciate it, right? Because it's, you can get into like a weird dark spot of that. And yeah, I, I know for myself, I've always kind of like, you have to have that false sense of security or that false sense of confidence and drive just be like, well, fuck it. Like, let's oh, keep running man. it. It's so toxic too, because I've also realized that more and more, I realized that it, that most people are, or not most, everyone is like full of shit. Yes, dude. <laughs> and the older you get, you're like, oh God, it's all fake. It's oh. all fake. But but it's crazy because you realize, well, the, the difference is that some people just own their bullshit. Yes. Other people are are like, I, I'm like, well, shit, I just suffer the imposter syndrome and just don't feel like I'm good enough. Yeah. Whereas other people are like, no, fuck it. I I, I know I'm not good enough, but you know, I'm right. going to still. Yeah, like, well, I'm here. So yeah. fuck it, might as well. And it's kind of, that is a remedy, at least in my mind of like, well, I may feel that I'm not good enough, but I am fairly certain this other person isn't good enough either. <laughs> you have. Yeah, it's <laughs> and a, yeah. So we're kind of on par, yeah. you know, and, and if they can do it, then I can, then do surely it. I can do it too. And that's the, that's the remedy that I've, I've tried to use, but the other thing too, that's difficult is that, you know, things are in flux, especially your emotions and the, your, your, your mental state too, is always kind of shifting, you know, like one moment you can feel like you fucking own the world. And then the next you're, you're, you can realize you can feel the complete opposite that you were worthless. And it's so difficult to, to navigate because when you're in that low point, it's really, really hard to believe the other side. It's hard yeah. to be convinced of the other, the other, you know, playing live is like, it's so ephemeral once, you know, once it happens, it happens and it's gone, it's lost. And maybe you fuck up and you get a funny look from, you, you know, someone, uh, but it's gone and the next moment has to happen. So you truck on, but then in, in the studio, it's everything's under the microscope and ego is so involved in this where. I don't know the uh, the the amount of times that you, you know you're working with a producer and they're and you're playing and they're like, well, it, let's track that again. Let's mm-hmm. th- and it's funny with like Zach and Ken, the producers that we normally work with. That's like literally what they'll say is like, let's do that again. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's not there's no like your timing sucks or like there's no personal attack. It's just a simple let's do this. Let's try it again. And that's a very it's nice and kind of cool to or you know that's a very massage the ego kind of approach yeah but it it can be very difficult when you're around a bunch of people that you respect and you know you may not feel that you're that you should be there that you're worth being in that room you know i can't even imagine that like i because that's the side like i don't know i've never recorded an album but Mm -hmm. like that's so true is like i'm sure you've been you've sat in on sessions or something yeah yeah it's Mm -hmm. funny you you mentioned zach and ken like i remember being in the studio for an entire album written with them and documenting it and it was incredible um but yeah it's just like that there's so many roles that you have to pay play when you're in a band, mm-hmm. right? Like you kind of became the business guy when it was coming, like the ledgers and the CDs mm-hmm. and all of that. But then like you have the performer mm-hmm. and then you have the studio musician and then you have however the band dynamic is. And like, man, sorry to cut you off. No, that's, please, please. That's such an interesting thing that I haven't really thought about because I think the most important role now that I'm just, you know, don't understand and it's difficult is like the social media role and that's the and that's like the what what what's become the most important role in a lot of ways yeah you know what i mean dude i mean i absolutely know what you mean it's funny like literally at least at the time of us recording this the episode that i just put out was with this manager jake posner and he wrote this whole article and there's this whole topic of like the great social disconnect Mm. and or the great follower disconnect and basically uh the stress and strain that social media can put on an artist because it's like as an artist and as a creator that's not necessarily what you signed up for right like making art is not the same thing but now all of a sudden if you believe in your art you have to be a part of this and you have to be a part of these these 
posting so much and whatever in order just to have your thing get noticed. Yeah. And it's funny because using Mayday as the example, you guys got your success out of finding a cheat code and breaking a rule. Mm -hmm. So who are we to hate on for saying that now the cheat code is social media? Oh, no, no, no. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, like I, I certainly, I, I respect and appreciate I have, there's no, there's no like, um, judgment on, on the current state of it. Yeah. Because in, for a number of reasons, I feel that way. One, I feel like it's, that this is, there's no going back. Right. There's no like uh, one, you know, everyone's on their Instagram now one day in their TikTok one day, they'll, you know, these will be go, it'll go back to the good old day. No, it's, we're there and you either, either catch up or you're left behind. I love that. And I, I'm all about, I feel that strongly. And it's just more that, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe if Mayday Parade, if I was 21 right now, yeah, in this moment, I'd be killing it on TikTok. Mm-hmm. But at 35, uh, it's, it's well over my head. And, it, and I think what you said, you, you saying the word, like, it's not what I signed up for. I think that's one thing that I'm struggling with now where what I pre- I appreciate playing guitar. I appreciate the live performance. I appreciate like the, the studio time and make, you know, trying to make quality material. Right. I do not like it. The, it does not interest. I just don't feel uh, comfortable or adept at navigate or, you know, making content, making content. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm so like in on this right now. And I, I don't have an, an answer to this, whatever, just for the sake of this conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. and understanding the story. Okay, I completely feel you. But then think about any person, like put them in the day one of selling CDs and being like, you're going to have to go talk to 500 oh, people right. today. Yeah. They'd be like, Are you fucking kidding me? This isn't what I signed up for. I want to play guitar. That's fair. Yeah, it's true. That's weird, isn't it? It's super weird. And because you weren't afraid of that. You had you know, to. Necessity forced you to. You're not wrong. And I think a lot of it, this, you know, going going back to it, I think one thing that's cool about Mayday Parade, that's something that that is kind of, I don't know, you know, this, I don't know if I'll appreciate this too much, but Derek has always, we've, the band has always put a lot of pressure on Derek to be a, like the front man. The guy, yeah. Because, you know, we'll, we came up with like, like We the Kings or All Time Low where their, their front men are like, they're, those are personalities. Travis For Clark sure. and Alex, they're, those are personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, but it serves the band phenomenally because they, kid, people love that. Mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. want to see that. Derek has, the band has always put a lot of pressure on him to be that kind of front man. And I have so much respect for him because I've realized over the years, he's really honed in on his, his image, his public persona in that regard, where it's something so authentic to him, but it is something that is, uh, there is a, a bit of, um, I don't know what the word is. There, it's 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 not a mask because it's a that, character almost. Yeah, like he's character. Built a character. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's right. And the I, I mean that in the not most non pejorative sense of absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have to. Well, a hundred percent. That's that is a necessity if you are a performer. I think is to be able to d- have some sort of detachment. Yeah. Otherwise, you're too self conscious on stage. Right. And, No, but it's like this whole, this conversation, like the reason I'm so in on it is because I feel you and Mm. I, I grapple and think about these same things. Cause like, I'm not the guy shaking a stick at the current day and age. I'm all here for it. I love the access. I love that anyone can peruse. I love that you can pick up a phone and create and your creativity could hit millions of people. Mm -hmm. That's better than having to go walk around and sell CDs to people. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in, but then it's also interesting because me back in the day when necessity forced me to go talk to a thousand people and flyer shows and sell CDs with my friends and all that. And that gave us the platform. And even that band, like getting like that come up on YouTube was different. And we didn't really think about it. And it was fun. It was just like, I don't know. There's not like rules you have to follow. You don't have to post a certain amount of time. We were just like, "Uh, do it. And then you know it happens yeah so to a degree we must be sort of old in our thinking of feeling like an obligation to use social media (laughs) yeah but like we're not upset about it we acknowledge it we're here for it 
But then how do you stay authentic to it when you genuinely have different interests and passions, but your career and profession is still an entertainer. And that is part of that meta right now. It's fucking wildly interesting to think about. In a lot of our conversations, it's it always hinges on like (laughs) the concept of cringe Mm. and like we don't. I feel like I just I see people post online and I the last thing I want is to be I, I feel like it's really that's so transparent. It's such a transparent medium where you see uh, like they're really only doing this to gain followers or to gain some yes. some self-serving thing or they're, they they've built a character, but it's bad. It's like <laughs> yeah. not a, not it's it's not a good thing. Yeah. It's either cringy or it's. I don't know, like just not working out of touch, out like, of yeah, touch. Yeah. And just so the the fear is like I could I could try and, fi- fi- you know, go through that failure process of like, you know, here's me on TikTok. But right. I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, if I'm willing. <laughs> right. To, to but put like that the Alex, because. like you had to develop some amount of a character to like be the salesman that could mm-hmm. sell CDs. Sure, right. Yeah. Like it's not like one day like you had to figure out how to pedal them suckers. You had yeah. to figure out your approach. You had to figure out the headphones and the, yeah. the everything. But also being real, you don't have to figure this out anymore. You've established mm. your band. You have enough to work off of. Mm-hmm, so then right. we're coming back to it's more like this Kaizen approach of wanting to continuously improve, not just like resting on your status. But I, it's just, I, I don't have an answer to this. It's just something That's fun. Like it, it's, I'm, this is a topic that I talk about as well. Yeah. And I think it's just cool to hear an artist talk about it, especially after talking to Posner and like all of his things and hearing the weight of it. Like it's it's really interesting for me to hear an artist's take on it and mm-hmm. how you feel. Uh, yeah, it's so it's such a necessity. Um I envy I don't really oh, well I I envy really established artists that they don't really have to do do anything to stay relevant they're yeah. just kind of well, our staples now right um but yeah I, but okay so this is interesting i think that mayday has owned and like has established some amount of evergreen relevancy mm. just off of like my impression of how genuine of people and how genuine and great the performance is and everything like that i feel that that alone owns its own thing. So I would have to say that like the awareness of relevancy is already leagues ahead of many bands mm. that you have outlasted, That's right? Because yeah. here we are in 2020 fucking two and Mayday Parade is still touring, right? Like a lot of bands that you came up with and, and did that thing with are no longer around. Yeah. I just think again, like here we are, and like that's probably why I respect y'all so much. Is like you are always still pressing to stay relevant and stay authentic at the same time. Yeah, and- it's one of the strengths I think of this band is that that we're a collection of five very unique people. Yeah, and very different, and it's even got it's gotten more exaggerated because we all live different in, areas, yeah, in different the, areas, in the country. And, and when we're not together, we're kind of isolated from each other. So we all developed like different views. So, it, but it works. I think it's good because if I were the one running the show, things would be very different, but I don't think better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would make things better. I think it would be just something. But it's nice to have like Jake and and, and Cabby and people that are a little bit more in tune with the with, with social media and, and what's what's trendy because I'm not. And I know like Derek isn't. But I really do think like that feeling of Mayday, like maybe just for me to to summarize that and pay a compliment is however that cake is cooked, whatever those ingredients are that come together, I think that y'all's awareness, like of course you can always work to improve and all that, but I've always respected how authentic it has stayed and how much I've never seen Mayday do something cringe. Mm. And it's always been like, I mean, who knows? Maybe you're not at the fucking front of every trend and finding new TikTok trends, but that's fine. Because you have it's always felt this like very authentic and self-aware thing. And I would have to imagine that that's how it's lasted for so long. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely... There's an element that I I love that if if anything Mayday Parade 
I hope is at a point where someone has said, someone has used the, the words like elder statesman of emo. <laughs> like that is like, a, I love that. Elder statesman of emo, <laughs> like, holy shit. I, I love that because it's like, that implies, I think of like one of my biggest idols is um, Noel Gallagher from, from Oasis where he's at a point now in his career where he has nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. He can just kind of do things on his own and always is relevant without having to be at the, like you were saying, like at the forefront of every, he's not always at the vanguard of trends and all this, yet his opinion and his, his presence is respected and and taken into account. Yeah. And I, I, I would love that for Mayday Parade. If that's, if that's where we're at. I feel that. that, That's a huge, I feel that. And as we kind of summarize this and talk about this, like, that is kind of the interesting thing is like respect for being aware of these things. But at the same time, like you have earned your respect and here you are and it's always felt authentic. And like, I don't give a fuck what a Mayday album <laughs> sounds like. Or you did, you recorded the one album with the dude that recorded uh, the brand, that yeah, iconic yeah, brand new album. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you'll also go back to Zach and Ken. Like y'all can do whatever the fuck you want right now. Like you've earned your uh, stripes. I hope, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's cool. I think that, even more so that that you are thinking about things like this and having these discussions. It's like you don't have to. But. Oh man, you have no idea. I think the idea, the if if anything, Mayday Parade is good at is is being so hyper aware and analyzing <laughs> everything and talk talking about. We can talk about the deepest deepest you know aspects of the band all day amongst each other and yeah. really analyze it um for better or worse i don't know if we get anywhere with it but it's to the point now where i'm like i'm, I'm just gonna go to bed early I yeah. can't. <laughs> I can't. it's like the deep existential like yeah. life oh, talks yeah. you're like every been, night yeah. we've seen the movie like yeah. i'm going to bed boys <laughs> yeah. god that's funny yeah damn i mean for this conversation, like I, I kind of just wanted to like, I wanted exactly this, right? I had no expectation, but I felt like for so long, I really have respected everything and I wanted to hear your personal take on it. And and this is kind of everything I wanted. I love so that. That's great. I appreciate you being down to do it and, and share that little bit because I think it's like a very honest thing, right? We had no agenda to this. It was just like, let's catch up. No, totally. I definitely, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I appreciate I try and I appreciate the authenticity of when 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 you can tell it's authentic. And I'm very tired of answering uh, of like rote answers of like you, you know what I mean. How do you get your band name? Right. This, that, and this. Yeah. Well, it, more. It's not always. It's not oh, okay. necessarily the question. It's mm. the an, the answer of like this is this and this is this and it's just like this is the stock. This is in our bio. You know what I mean? Ah. Like I I. I don't know. I, I don't like the dishonesty that lie that lies within that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like a podcast. It's interesting because for some reason it's just so different from press, where you never know exactly where the conversation is going to go. You have enough time where you can just be like, I don't know. Let's talk about this one thing. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, as a consumer, really appreciate that in a platform. I think we talk about media and relevancy and all that. And I certainly feel this now with a podcast is like this by no means is me trying to be relevant. If anything, this is my fuck you to the current state of media, Mm. because in the attention era where getting 15 seconds on TikTok is valuable, I'm over here asking for people to give an hour of their time to listen to something like Mm -hmm. that's insane. That's the most counterintuitive thing ever. But I love the idea that those who do care that make it here to this hour are rewarded with these deep conversations that do go a little bit further than the superficial answers so Mm -hmm. the people that take the time to share those conversations and to share these stories thank you and also i I find this to be the most fulfilling part of the current day of media yeah yeah and and i think a lot of honesty is is needed for that people are tired people can tell when people are inauthentic you know going back to the authenticity thing and giving i don't know just the stock answers to the questions and it's not interesting like i i don't want to hear that i don't want to say it (laughs) yeah yeah i sure shit know people don't want to hear that they want to hear the the truth right you know what i mean yeah completely it's funny too as a podcast host like you can't you never know what you're gonna get into but 
I personally can feel it. Like I'll have somebody on the show and I'm like, you're a speak and spell. Like everything <laughs> you're saying is like the the calculated answer. And it's like, you feel like you have to say this. Like you don't have to say this. Like you can be real. And I always appreciate it when I go into a conversation and it, it's just that. It's a conversation and you don't know. And there's honesty and there's like the, yeah. the moments where I'm like, I don't know the answer to this. What do you think? And you're like right. that to me is always a good one. So for that, again, I thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it for I'm sure. I'm so glad we got to do this, yeah, man. Yeah, same. Thank same. you. Yeah. Boom. We did it. We did it. Um, Where can everybody find you? Depending on when this comes out, you're on tour right now. You're here in Los Angeles. Anything to pay attention to? Um. What, what, uh, MaydayParade.com. Yeah, MaydayParade.com. <laughs> MySpace. Check us out yeah. on MySpace. Uh, no, I mean, we're on tour until April 1st or April 2nd. Or oh, so. good. Yeah. So this will be out. Yeah. 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 So sure. we'll, we have plenty of dates in North America. We're on our, right now, we're touring off of our, and this is kind of an interesting thing. We're on an anniversary tour. So our third album came out 10 years ago. So we're playing that whole album front to back and then some other stuff. Cool. But that's always interesting because, you know, it's it's like a, a, a retrospective kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Fuck. All right. Well, now I have to ask this. Does it make you feel a way? Does it bring you back when you're playing an anniversary tour album? Does it bring you to There's those moments? Super conflicting emotions because on one hand, it's, yeah, it's crazy to like play these songs that I haven't played since I recorded them and be... Yeah, you. Uh, it's like, oh fuck! I remember sitting in the control room with Zach and Ken talking about this. Yeah. Or, or which album? I'm so sorry that I. It's don't our self-titled. Okay, okay. So and and ooh, <laughs> wasn't that the major label one? No. Oh fuck! It me. was the one after it, but it was the one that we got off of our major label, but we're still locked into a contract, so we were in in the Warner umbrella, but on a very small little uh label that was basically housed in a closet in the atlantic building in new york and we were on that label uh for this album due to contract issues wow so this brings you back to a fucking time in your life it was a time of like of the biggest thing was that we had felt so locked so restricted and locked in uh, uh for the second album for anywhere but here and it was such a miserable experience at the time. Yeah, miserable at best. <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah, you need you need you need graphics and like yeah. Diana, no. <laughs> yeah, it, and the, that when we recorded this this album, the self-titled album, it was like it was a breath of fresh air because we had complete artistic freedom to oh. be, to do whatever the fuck we wanted. So we really made the album that we wanted to make versus the album that we felt like we were forced to make, which, which was anywhere but here. Cool. But it's crazy because you 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 ask about the the do I remember things? I remember writing certain guitar parts. Specifically, I remember writing a part in for um, a song called "I'd Rather Make Mistakes Than Make Nothing at All" mm-hmm. in Australia. We were on Soundwave, and I remember. I was in like a weird time. It was a weird time in my life. My relationship was like awful. And I felt so much pressure like with the record because we we were recording the record, but then we took a break to do Soundwave in Australia. So we flew from Atlanta to Australia and then flew back to Atlanta to finish the record. Mm-hmm. I, was such an, I was in such a weird headspace. And then I, I saw that movie Black Swan oh, in, crazy. in Melbourne, Australia. And I was like, fuck, this is such an awesome movie. And I felt super inspired. And I remember like working on that song and writing some of those parts and how much they like meant to me then. And it's crazy because I hadn't really like visited that or revisited that since, you know, until now. Yeah, that's something that like. I appreciate about any art that is made is it is always a time capsule for both yourself and like, I mean, dude, there's people that are out there that have listened to self-titled or whatever, like that album had to have represented people moving, people graduating, people starting a family. Like it's crazy when you like really take the time to appreciate one piece of art collectively that brings everybody back. And that's something I think about so much. It's difficult because it's hard for me to, I feel like Derek is really good at being empathetic in that way with our fans Mm. where i've always struggled to really understand that the weight of that because i I mean surely i have music that in my life where or things where i'm like this this got me through a really hard time or this brings me back to a a difficult moment in my life and helped me 
kind of deal with that. But it's hard for me to understand what that really means for the music that I've helped create for our fans. Yeah, you know what wow. I mean? Yeah, that's like a whole other uh, it's pressure isn't the right word. It's just another thing to grapple. Yeah, yeah. It's unpacked. Yeah, dude. Well uh okay well that conclusion so go see mayday parade playing <laughs> yeah. self-titled uh up until april 22nd april 2nd ish second so. april 2nd there forget, we go yeah. done <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> this was so fun dude thank yeah. you for yeah, real thank you for having me man i appreciate it andrew done nope so there you go, the Alex Garcia episode. Hope you liked it. If you're listening to this right when it came out, make sure to go see Mayday on tour. Uh, MaydayParade.com has all their tour dates. Go see the self-titled album front to back. It'll be sick. Uh, and outside of that, if you like the podcast, you know the drill. Share it with a friend. Tell anyone you know about it. That helps so, so much. If you want, subscribe, rate it, leave a comment. Like, God, there's so many things to do do the things uh that genuinely helps wherever you're listening i mean it uh, if you want to go above and beyond there's where all my friends patreon keeps the show going that says it thanks for listening i'll be back next week with another episode